0: Welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Today's guest is Nick Cox, the Director of Academy at Manchester United. Nick is renowned for his commitment to developing a holistic approach to youth development, focusing not just on technical skills, but also on character, education and personal growth. His dedication to building a strong foundation for the future at Manchester United has earned him the respect and admiration of football enthusiasts worldwide. Throughout his career, Nick has had the privilege of working with some of the brightest young talents in the game, shaping them into the stars of tomorrow. Under his guidance, Manchester United's youth teams have achieved remarkable success with numerous players progressing to the first team and representing their countries at the highest level. On this episode, we'll delve into the intricacies of talent development, the challenges faced by young players, and the importance of creating a nurturing environment for them to thrive. Nick, thank you so much for giving up your time this morning for you, and welcome to Building Better Basketball. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Nick, as the Academy Director for Manchester United, you obviously oversee the development of young football players, and we'll call it football as a couple of... uh, people from the United Kingdom and the Australians will uh, have to rearrange the word soccer into it where appropriate. What are some of the key principles or strategies that you and your team around you believe are crucial for nurturing the talent that you have and fostering the growth in the young athletes?
1: Um, It's a great question. Uh, um, If I may, before I answer the question, I might just give a little bit of a context about what our sport looks like in this country, because I'm not so sure that talent development uh, in football in this country reflects like a typical pathway in other sports and in other countries. So um, football is the number one sport in this country. Uh, The Premier League is the most watched league in the world and it generates an enormous amount of resource. So what that means is, is there's a lot of resource, either the private money that the clubs invest, but also funding as well. There's a lot of resource available for us to invest into our talent pathway. Um, There's 92 clubs in England. England has got 55 million people, but it's a small country. It would fit into Australia many times over in terms of its size. Uh, And there's high competition to try and recruit and develop players to go and play in your first team. So our... Our programmes in general, and they've evolved over many, many years, uh, with a lot of resource over many years, our programmes in general will see us working with boys from the age of... And I'm going to talk predominantly about boys. We have a girls' academy here. We work very closely with the girls to make sure that there's some synergy. But my accountability is for the boys. Um, But in effect, we're working with boys as young as kind of nine through to around the age of 21, and actually we might even work with boys slightly younger than nine as we prepare them to join our programmes. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's how it is. That's what our programme looks like. Heavily resourced, high levels of competition, um, number one sport, lots of clubs in close proximity. And if you think about our particular club in, in Manchester United, in the northwest of England, we're actually just a few miles away from Liverpool, obviously Manchester City, Everton, big clubs, all in the same catchment area, working or trying to work with the same players. So I hope that gives a little bit of context um, to to the landscape that we're we're working within. Um, In terms of your question, um, some principles, some ingredients uh, that I believe are essential for talent development. Um, First and foremost is to... Make sure that you're always considering potential over performance. Our role as an academy, my job as an academy manager is to help individuals reach their full potential with the hope that some might be capable of playing at the highest level. It's not about building a winning team. So you've got to think about where do we think a player might get to in 10 years' time, 12 years' time, 15 years' time, not where are they today. It's a team sport, but I'm a big believer that We've got to focus on the individual. The team is just a vehicle for individual development. So how, where possible, do we make sure that we are bespoking the programme for each individual that is within it and make sure that they get what they need based on their particular strengths or their position or their age. So don't spend too much time getting bogged down by the team and trying to prepare for the weekend. How do I prepare kids for the game in 10 years time? Uh, It goes without saying, I believe young people need to have lots and lots of opportunities to play the game. Substitutes, people sitting, watching, not playing is is of no use. So opportunities to repetition and play lots of game. The environment you create has to be really challenging, but at the same time, your players need to feel a real psychological safety. So we're gonna do tough stuff. We're gonna make mistakes, things will go wrong, but that's what the learning process looks like. So high challenge, High support, obviously being really tolerant of state mistakes, flipping on it on its head, getting young people to hunt down, struggle and challenge and chaos, and celebrate when it goes wrong rather than punish kids for mistakes. Um, but probably some of the most important things here, and this is why I gave you the context at the beginning. If you're going to work with a seven-year-old player and, and you you worry too much about them being a professional athlete, you're probably not going to get it right so for me it's the most important ingredients are how do you make it age specific so at the beginning of the journey can it just be playful and joyous and curious and and can we instill a love of the game in in young people can we allow them to be authentically childlike can we let them experiment can we let them fall in love with the game can we let them build friendships i think i think that's so important our real measure because talent id is so so difficult your real measure or the only thing that you can promise a seven-year-old is a lifelong association with the sport because the time they spent with you helped them to fall in love with it made them curious made them thirsty for to explore the game even further and that their time with you means that they're still playing that sport or other sports well into their adult year years because you gave them a great platform and the way to do that I believe is to Take a strength-based approach. Let's find out what kids are good at. Make them better at what they're good at. Kind of push strengths, hide, hide weaknesses. But also remember the whole person. You know, there's a lot of personal growth that happens through sport organically. Um, how do we celebrate that? How do we celebrate that in the process of trying to learn how to play a game you love you will also become a good communicator and a great friend and a good learner and you'll become disciplined and you might become a good timekeeper and you might be able to take some responsibility for yourself or ownership for your own learning. And all those types of things are wonderful, incredible life skills that are going to set young people up in whatever walk of life they end up in as an adult. So uh, sport is powerful. Sport is amazing. Never lose sight of the fact that your duty really is to do for a young person, um, what someone else has already done for you. I don't believe you're listening to this podcast unless you love sport. You'll love sport because someone else helps you fall in love with it. You've got to pay it forward a little bit. Um, so, there, there's some of the things I think that you need to factor in when you're designing your program or or your your talent pathway. Not all, but some of the 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 go tos that come off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, and I think there's so many words there that just kind of pinged with me is like transferable for any age group any group and and as we touched on um, before we started recording any sport as well uh yeah similar to basketball soccer and football developing the technical skills is is a really important part of the player's journey from um entry into any program into reaching full maturation in your experience what are some of the effective methods and training techniques that you utilize to enhance or to support the growth of players' technical abilities? Because obviously you touched on you're working with people that are very talented for their age group. And that's the the key definition. They're very talented for their age group. So how do you then move them through to be very talented at the next age group and the next age group and the next age group?
1: Yeah, there's not a, a simple answer to that question, in that you know, it varies on what is it you're trying to teach, who are you trying to teach, um, how old are they, what is the context of the of of the skill that you're that you're trying to help someone to learn or develop. Uh, but as a general rule of thumb, I think a, a practice um, should be designed to be as close to the game as possible. Um, therefore you should have direction, some competition, some opposition, um, and it should be dynamic and, and free-flowing. So uh, game-like where possible. And when I say game-like, that could be the full version of the game, 11 v 11, but it's you can unwind, can't you, and come back to a 1v1 and that can still have direction, competition, um, challenge, goal scoring, and it can still be game-like. So I think it's really important that your practices are realistic and they look like the game and they feel like the game um there's a big debate over here i'm sure there is over there as to you know the the merits of unopposed practice um and i think there's some people that are very much it's good or it's bad um for me like there is merit in unopposed practice like, i see the greatest coaches in the world and some of the top players um regularly dedicate time to uh, unopposed practice It has a place. Um, Unopposed practice is great for laying the foundations or refining a technique or for building confidence or for as part of a warm-up or maybe to to develop a tactical principle. So there's merit in unopposed practice. Absolutely. You've just got to know what return you want from the practice that you're putting on. But my general rule of thumb is game-based where appropriate, but the real art of coaching is, you know, you've got to work it out over time. It's craft knowledge. How do I ramp it up? and try and teach it in in the full version of the game and how do I unravel it to teach it in a simple context of the game that might just be a a 1v1, a 2v2 or it may even be unopposed Um, but more often than not what you're striving for is repetition of decision making I'm not a huge fan of teaching skills in isolation you've got to teach young people to be able to recall the required skill based on the environment and the triggers that they see around them at any given moment And the best way to teach that is repetition of lots and lots of um, repetition of a decision, if that makes sense. And the game will do that. But, you know, you are going to have cleverly designed games. If you just leave children to play a game, there is merit in that. There's merit in just playing a game. You can experiment. You can be creative. And it will be really random and really chaotic. And it will test your learning. But if you want to kind of narrow the focus and drive people towards a particular skill, you've got to constrain that game, design that game very cleverly to make sure that it forces children to repeat a similar decision many, many, many times over, but whether that be the size of your pitch, the shape of your pitch, the number of opponents, the the challenge or the task that you set the players. And you want them to be diving deep to, to kind of solve a problem regularly, repetition, repetition, but without repetition, if that makes sense.
0: I think one of the, Things that I just really clicked with me there was that's the second time that you've said chaos, Nick, as well, or a variant of the word chaos. And I think that's the the concept of losing control is something that's very scary to coaches of all levels. And I think sometimes it it's it's really refreshing and something that I just wanted to highlight there that someone in your position at your level was actually embracing chaos during some elements of your practice session because of the benefits that that can bring both for learnings for you as a coach, but more importantly, the learnings that can bring the athletes. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, I was unaware I'd used the word chaos, so thanks for calling it <laughs> out because it, it probably should have been in the answer to the first question is that I think people expect talent development, particularly parents. So Parent education is important. Parents expect the journey to be linear. I want my son to be the best or daughter to be the best player in a winning team every week. I want to be the best player at nine. I want to be the best player every week and still be the best player at 19. And I don't want to make mistakes and I don't want to lose games. That's actually the opposite of the environment that's required um, for talent development. So the journey is not linear. Um, players will emerge and potential will emerge at different ages and stages along the journey. You will lose games. You will make mistakes. The game will be chaotic. There will be periods of struggle. It will not be easy. um, And we have to embrace that. And I'm a big believer that learning takes place in chaos. Learning takes place in struggle. Sometimes our job as a coach is to um, actually hunt down struggle. Can I find environments that my players are going to find difficult where they will fail? I'm not talking about catastrophic failure. And I'm not talking about... Daily trauma, but small doses of micro trauma where things are difficult, where things are chaotic, where things are uncomfortable, where things go wrong is where you learn the most. And we actually have to manufacture that. Sometimes an organized session with no mistakes and it all looking neat and tidy feels great as a coach. Um, and you feel in control, but you, it probably means there's not a lot of learning taking place. Um, so, kind of don't be brave enough. Be brave enough to allow players to lead the way and you know, take you places where you didn't quite know you were going to get to and allow for stuff to go wrong. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's where the good stuff happens.
0: Manchester United, throughout my lifetime, has had a rich history of success and a, and a really uh, globally renowned culture, both on and off the field. From the academy point of view, and dealing with parents and young people coming from all over the country and indeed all over the world, I would imagine. How do you establish that positive culture in them when they when they join your program?
1: Yeah, so we have an amazing tradition uh, um, here of developing young players, and it's a it's a wonderful tool or or asset to be able to kind of inspire and motivate young players um, so we are this year in our 90th year of youth development so I think that probably makes us one of the oldest football academies certainly in the country and uh, 90 years ago we would have been developing players because it was the cheapest way of running a football club but we've been on a journey as a football club and that journey has had great days and terrible days And youth development has been at the heart of the great days and has rescued us from the terrible days. So for us, youth development is more than just an economical way of running a team now. So um, uh, Munich air disaster, we lose a team. We rebuilt from that moment on and the club was saved by a wonderful coach who was the youth coach at the time uh, in Jimmy Murphy. And we went on to win the European Cup because of young players Whenever we've won you great competitions, there's been young players at the heart of, the, of our greatest victories. So we have a wonderful tradition and history here, um, which captures the imagination of fans. And really, there's a higher existence here. Youth development means something incredibly special. So uh, it's important to us that we educate young people about what they're going to be part of. We We like to... Uh, remind them that they're following in the footsteps of, of great people and they're aspiring to be like great people. But also, you've got to look forwards as well and, and think about how you're going to innovate, be different, and, and make your own history. Um, but culturally, I think it's really important that people understand our history. So, we will educate the players through a formal education program, an informal education program about our history, about Munich, about the great players that have preceded them. And some of that is um, just simple messages delivered regularly through the season. So, for example, we have just had our most recent intake of young players joining us full-time at the age of 16, 17. They've just left school. They're going to join us on a full-time basis. Uh, And and last week, we presented them with their Manchester United Blazer with the club, club crest on the Blazer but we talked to them about the privileged folk that have worn that blazer before them. And we presented that blazer and we got other people to come back wearing their blazers to talk about how proud they were to wear the blazers. So there's lots of little moments that we capture through the season that, um, tie us into our history, tie us into where we've come from and hopefully help our young players to get the context of what this organization is, is all about. Um, but you can't get bogged down in history. We we need to make sure our players are going to be the best version of themselves, be forward thinking and, and think about how they're going to be different from everything, everything that's come before them as well.
0: With that, and obviously the world is changing. Kids are, are different now than they were nine years ago, let alone 90 years ago. And talent identification will, will move with that. The, the role of the the scout and the role of the uh your role will have gone from being someone that was looking very locally for the the most important talent to now a global reaching program with the talent identification and and you've talked about it a couple of times being such a key aspect of of building the successful program what are some of the factors that you or your team consider when you you have a potential talent in front of you, if they're Manchester United level, I suppose.
1: Yeah. So um, again, just for some context, um, we can recruit from within an hour between the ages of nine and 12. And in that hour, we've got some big Premier League football clubs. We can recruit for an hour and a half up to the age of 14. We can recruit nationally from 14 onwards. Um, but actually, our recruitment pool just got smaller. We used to be global. We used to be able to bring boys from, from all over Europe or boys with European passports from all over the world. Brexit's changed that context for us. So <laughs> we, we we now will be working with players just from the UK up until the age of 18 which means we're going to have to be even better at identifying potential talent than we ever have been because the the talent pool shrunk, the competition's greater. It's a shame, by the way, I, I love the, the cultural diversity of our youth teams. Our youth teams have always traditionally been the best local players who understood the club and the local community, with the best incoming players from all over the world who would innovate and bring new ideas and different training methods Uh, we've lost some of that sadly and and that's a shame because i i think you know it's a wholesome experience to have kids from all over the world come together with the same common goal but with slightly different context or upbringings and that's gone but um, it does mean we're gonna have to be even better at recruiting Um, and recruiting potential talent is really difficult and The younger you go, the harder it gets. And in fact, the science would suggest that like at the ages of seven and eight, current performance is a really bad indicator of future potential. Um, So there's a conundrum because we start really young. Um, I've used the word potential several times in that sentence. That's exactly what you're looking for. You're looking for indicators that lead you to believe a player will be talented, a talented performer in the future. You're not necessarily looking for the best performer today, although sometimes a player can be both. You can be the best player today and the best future potential. Um, For me, there's some very simple things that we look for, even at the youngest ages. Do they have an outstanding quality that we think will get them a job at the end of the journey and we think that will lead a manager to want to select them as an adult? And that could be anything. It's just something that stands out. It may be that you are... A dribbler or you cross the ball brilliantly or you're incredibly quick or you're a competitor or you are just mr consistent um, just an outstanding quality that will set you aside from the rest in adult life that's really important we've then got to work out if you've got uh a part of your game where you're broken and we don't believe you can fix it so if a part of your game is broken a fatal flaw that's going to be an issue. But that being said, we're not looking for the complete package. So we're completely accepting that not everyone's going to be outstanding at everything. Um, So you're looking for uh, a player where you can push their strength, tidy up their weakness, and you you believe that their weakness isn't going to be too uh, much of of an anchor for them. Um, You're trying to work out kind of the type of player they're going to be by the end of the journey. I think sometimes we get overly obsessed with technique, technique, technique. Technique on its own will not make you a, a great performer. You need technique plus something else. Technique plus character, technique plus athleticism. Likewise, you can be really athletic and competent technically and still have a really wonderful career. So you're looking for the the mixing deck of athleticism, character and um, and techniques and you're looking for the type of player that you think they might project to be in the future um, and then really for me the, the, the one quality that I believe holds all the performers together that I've ever worked with that have gone on to be successful is just what I would refer to as spirit or character uh, and I would define that as an ability to learn an intrinsic motivation to want to get better a competitive fire and, a, and some resilience uh, and a commitment to learning. So um, without that, I, I, f- I don't think that you can be a successful athlete. So you, you, character is important. We're looking for an outstanding quality and we're looking to, to check that you've got no fatal flaws. So they probably be with the three questions that we ask ourselves. Um, ultimately, recruitment decisions are um, subjective but wherever possible, I think you've got to use some objective information to help you um, guide you towards your ultimate decision. But I do believe decisions generally get made through craft knowledge, which is why it's really important in your organization that you've got long-standing members of staff who've built up some wonderful points of reference over many years so that they've got kind of a template in their mind of how a performer today compares to performers that you've worked with in the past. Um, but it, it's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes in pathways, uh, we don't stop to review uh, how a player has evolved over time. So getting into a program can sometimes be quite easy. But actually, the retention decision is just as important as the recruitment decision. And ultimately, a, a talent pathway is, is an ongoing talent ID process. So you, you're identifying talent to join your pathway. But then you're confirming talent the rest of the time. You're confirming, is this talent what I thought it was? Now we've exposed them to new experiences, environments. Um, uh, are we going to review and reflect our initial decision to bring them in? Um, ultimately, I believe around 14, 15, then you might be really locked into a talent development um, mindset. And you're, you're now taking those players on a journey. But, but actually... Before that point, um, you're, you're probably in a world of talent ID, talent confirmation, so it's important that you have regular reviews of where you think your players are at, and um, you need a nice balance of opinions from people who are seeing the talent with fresh eyes, as well as talent uh, people that are seeing the talent over a long period of time.
0: With, with that, obviously the end goal for, for you is successful transition from the Youth Academy to graduating into professional careers, preferably, obviously, with Manchester United. How is the transition managed from your programme into the senior team if if a player is deemed of the standard?
1: So it's the, the hardest part is the transition. Uh, and when we say transition... Number one aim is to try and help them to to play out there. Uh, On the pitch at Old Trafford in a red shirt, that will actually happen for the minority, but that's the number one goal. We're equally as proud of young people that go and then perform away from here and have wonderful careers away from here. And um, we make it our duty, our coaching and our support staff. Our job is to maximise kids' potentials. How do we help people reach their full potential? And if along the way, a boy boys registered with us and we know they're going to be with us for a long period of time. If we just um, come to the conclusion they're not going to hit our first team, we have to work just as hard to help them have a career away from here. But equally, and probably the most difficult transition is when you transition them out of the sport or or, or into other walks of life. And we've, we've got a duty to prepare them for that as well. This process should give them skills and qualities and experiences that prepare them for life away from, from Manchester United or away from football. Um, it's not an easy thing to do Um, I would argue that it's impossible to make it smooth so the transition is unpredictable um, slightly chaotic again uh, and it is not an easy thing to do so um, I I regularly get young people ask me what's my pathway what's my pathway they want me to tell them what the pathway looks like between them being a young player and then making their debut the answer is I don't know you're going to make your own pathway. All I can tell you is, here's some experiences and opportunities we're going to present to you, and I guarantee, and I promise you, we will present you with these opportunities. And if you take those opportunities, your pathway will emerge. But I don't know what it is quite yet. Our job is, if you go quickly, we'll keep up with you, and if you go slowly, we'll be patient and we'll wait for you. Um, the challenge in this country is the Premier League's probably one of the hardest leagues to debut in and uh, the final stages of academy football you know around 1920 you're playing in an under 21s team the environment we have here is not a highly competitive one yes all the players are trying to win but it's not it's not open age football some clubs would have a b team or a reserve team that would allow them to kind of um, prepare and ready players for senior football we, we don't have that structure here so we have to we basically have to have a menu of opportunities available for boys as they reach the ages of 18 19 some will transition straight through to our first team so they will train with our first team uh, intermittently then it will become more regular then they'll make their debut and they'll just stay in our system that's the exception to the rule other players will have to go out on loan and we will place them at other clubs where they'll develop under the care of um, other teams, other clubs, other managers uh, before we bring them back to play in our team and uh, the simple answer to the question is we have to just spend a lot of time talking about it, we have to have all the key stakeholders first team staff, academy staff player, parents, agent discussing regularly where are you at, what is the gap between you and the first team what do we need to um, present to you to help you close the gap and what sort of timescale do we have to have in order to, to to work on the things that you need to be better at in order to play in our first team. But it's having a menu of opportunity available. It's having a support network around the player that is talking the same language and is aligned and that we regularly re- review and, and, and make that jump. But it's I think some people think that we sit, we wait, we see a player and we decide today is the day that this player is ready and over they go and they make their debut and they... Uh, and they, they, they're into first-team life. It doesn't look like that. It's not that clinical. It's blurred, it's messy, uh, and takes uh, a lot of discussion, communication, and uh, and planning.
0: Yeah, I think there's scenarios in Australian basketball very similar where players will come through the representative pathway, and then they'll have to make the decision between going to college in America or staying in a local league, or um, if they can't get a professional deal, going back to the semi-professional level and working back up and all those things that you talked about, all those stakeholders are the same and all those questions, especially the, what is my pathway is probably the the most common one that our high performance coaches are hearing as well. And I think it's like you said that you make your own pathway. You, you've, row your own boat in your answer you also mentioned a lot of all the other people that that work with you and no man is an island and you're obviously working really closely with coaching staff and uh, support staff and what are some of the advice you have I suppose for building and managing that effective coaching team and also how do you foster their growth And development alongside the the players?
1: So again, we're we're blessed with resource, which means that we've got really comprehensive teams of staff and and that goes beyond just the coaches. That's kind of recruiters, medics, physios, analysts, sports scientists, uh, athletic development coaches, physios. Uh, I've probably missed a few in there as well. So we're we're blessed that we've got huge teams of people to support the players. Uh, Each of them have to be... An expert in their field but allied to their expertise they have to have a love of young people and a real desire and and fascination with helping young people reach their full potential Um, in terms of coaching staff in particular uh, I, i don't believe that you can unlock all of the potential talent through Just one relationship. I think we have to have a complementing group of coaches wrapped around their players, um, knowing that somewhere amongst that group of coaches, one of those people will hold the key to helping unlock the potential that the young person has through building a wonderful relationship and having a great connection and building trust and and, and love. And and it, it is that, by the way. Coaching is about... A relationship that lasts long after you you stop working together at, at that particular sports team. It's a, it's an ongoing commitment, connection, and, and love, and um, you can't find that all the time with all of your players. But I would suggest that the the most successful players have found it somewhere. So when we build our team of coaching staff, so let's say my I don't we got our under 18s and twenty ones. I might have a team of maybe uh, eight to ten coaching staff around them. Um, the things we have to consider uh, in terms of the skills that we need in that pool of staff are um, who's got some experience of playing the game at the highest level because they'll definitely have some information about what it feels like to actually be in the heat of the battle and, and give us some 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 knowledge that you can only have if you've actually walked the journey that the young players are um, you need to have um, someone with great knowledge of you, your own organisation so a long-standing member of staff that's the custodian of, and the values and the, and the knowledge that the, your organisation has built up over many years uh, you need someone who's going to be an expert in the adolescent brain, knowing how the developing brain works and, and what conundrums that might throw up when you're working with, with young people and um, we try and get a balance of positional um, coaches as well. So have I got some of my coaches that are experts in defending and some in, in, in being a centre-four or, or, or a midfielder? I probably need some coaches uh, across the demographic that could be able to connect with the young people. So have I got some younger coaches and some more experienced coaches? So what you're trying to do is across your group of coaches, trying to make sure you've got a, a balance and a blend of many skills, knowing that um, different players are going to need different things from you. Not everyone's going to take the same thing out of the programme. So the the more information, the more experiences you've got wrapped around them, the better chance you've you've got of supporting your young players. I'm sure there's many other skills, complementing skills that I've forgotten there, but it gives you an idea of where we're heading when we assemble coaches. Um, How do we develop those coaches? Well, we have to treat our coaches exactly as we do our players so I have to have an individual plan for them i got to be challenging so I've got to at, at times ask them to do things that they're not used to uh, maybe ask the assistant coach to lead the game or uh, maybe ask the uh, um, you know the, the attacking coach to work with defenders for their own personal development um uh we have to um be mistake tolerant we've got to be allowed allow them to express themselves in fact this answer is almost the same answer to the first question a coach learning how to coach is very similar a player learning how to play so how do I instill love and joy and how do we go after some craft knowledge and how do we make mistakes and deal with the chaos and but beneath that have a plan regularly review the plan regularly think about what we need to do in future in order to refine certain skills um some of that's going to happen organically just through time at task lots and lots of hours of having a go um some of that's going to happen more formally so with a mentor with someone who is going to observe and feedback i think feedback we haven't necessarily talked about so far but feedback is just like the is the fuel to helping people to develop so how do we make sure we're regularly giving honest helpful kind and timely supportive um, feedback how do we help and encourage coaches to lead their own learning be in charge of their own journey etc so um yeah it's um very much uh it has to be by design lots of it will be organic you need to spend lots of hours doing it but you you've got to design that and then, and some of that will be formal qualifications but a lot of it will be informal experiences and remembering that coaching is not just 90 minutes on a training pitch thinking about technical tactical work coaching is what am i like on the touchline how good is my halftime team talk what am i like at presenting in a classroom in front of a large group of people what am i like at delivering feedback to an individual with some video footage um uh, what am I like at, um, you know, building rapport in the informal setting that sits around your environment, whether that be over lunch or, um, you know, or, or, or walking to the training pitch? What am I like at feeding back to parents? So coaching isn't just the technical tactical bit. Coaching is, is every interaction you have, and it's the environment that you create for young people to walk in on a daily basis. And, and some coaches might be nailed on technically, tactically, but they need some support in presenting in front of a large group of people or whatever it might be. So it's it's knowing your individuals and making sure you've got a plan to develop individuals based on their their strengths and and the things they need to work on.
0: Nick, the final question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, if you could ask any coach in any sport, and they can be with us or passed on a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be?
1: Um allow me to indulge myself, I'm going to have two answers to the question. So in terms of, of a coach who is living, it's not so much a question. Um, it would just be a thank you. So I have a particular, it was a school teacher actually, who um, created a wonderful environment for me as a really young footballer um, and empowered me to want to explore the game. And so I, I actually wrote a letter of thanks to him last year to say, I don't believe I'd be doing what I'm doing with my life. And I've got a wonderful life in terms of the job I have at Manchester. I wouldn't be doing that if you hadn't given the foundation. So I would encourage every coach to write to the coach that, or the person, but predominantly a coach who kind of lit the blue touch paper for them. I think that's an important thing to do. Um, but in terms of um, a question, I would probably have to go after John Wooden, no longer alive. Um, Obviously, I never met John Woodham, but I've read a lot of his stuff. And I, th- I think I was attracted to um, a lot of his books and his work because there was synergy between my approach and, and what I think he was trying to achieve. Um, a very principled man, who a value-driven coach that had some very simple basic rules, but was very kind of um, uh, very valued, value-driven and... The big one for me was he was he would focus on individuals. He would he would put the individual before the team. Never talked about winning. Winning was a byproduct of individual development in small doses every day. I think that's uh, I think that sits really nicely with what I'm trying to do here. So I guess my question to be, to him would be, can you hang out with me for a week? Tell me- <laughs> tell me how I'm doing. How, am I getting this right or not? Um, it would be wonderful to know if what I think I'm doing, I think what I'm doing fits with uh, his map of the world, but it would be fascinating to know if that's the case or not.
0: Nick, thank you so much for giving up your time this morning. I I know it was a, a random message from me to get you to come on to a basketball podcast in Australia. And I, I really appreciate you doing that for me. And I know from previous times that I've heard you speak that one of the greatest joys that you get is when you run into players that you've had interactions with either long interactions or even short interactions in uh, supermarkets or pharmacies or something like that and 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 you see the difference that you've made to to young people's uh, lives both in and outside of sport and I thank you so much for the the nuggets of gold that you've you've given us today because one of the questions that I get asked the most often when people discover that I worked in the soccer environment in the UK was oh, can you tell me about it like what is it and I think doing this favor for me and being able to um to lift the lift the veil a little bit and, and show everyone behind the scenes has been invaluable so thank you so much and and all the very best for the Upcoming season, which is, is coming around sooner than uh, I'm sure you would have wanted, but the, the, the fans will be excited to, to have the Red Devils back.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Put
0: your hands up. you get ready. In the crowd, goes Crazy. I'm so alive